Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with Andre Minkoff. Andre is an intellectual property lawyer with 20 years of experience. He started out as a copyright lawyer when his father, a well-known composer, heard his music advertising Samsung on the radio without his permission. After several years of litigation, not only did Andre win this case against the radio station, he also became a passionate expert on IP in the process. Andre has published three books on IP and has a PhD in law from Russia. He came to Canada in 2007 to start his legal career from scratch. After going through three more years of law school, Andre is now an IP lawyer and a registered trademark agent in Canada. His law firm focuses on business owners who value and respect intellectual property as a legal tool for protecting ideas and creativity and delivers exceptional value to businesses and individuals who generate, buy, sell, or use intellectual property. In 2013, Andre created the Trademark Factory, a service that is revolutionizing the way businesses protect their brands in Canada and in the U.S. A year later, he published his best-selling book, The Ultimate Insider's Guide to Intellectual Property. Welcome, Andre Minkoff. How are you? I am amazing. I just got back from a Maui retreat with my mentor, <laughs> like literally a couple of hours ago, sunburned and everything, but uh, <laughs> it was well, totally worth it. Well, so, it's great to catch you for an interview. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? That's the goal. That's the goal. So Andre, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? <laughs> where do I start? Let's start with where I am right now. So right now okay. I am running a company, Trademark Factory International. And uh, what we do is we help business owners protect their brands with the easiest way to trademark your brand risk-free guarantee. So we got a team of 18 people and it fluctuates, right? So there's some members that join, some members that we have to say goodbye to. And I've learned probably my biggest leadership lesson around people and around teams. Last year, actually with my same mentor that I just had a retreat with, that's something we're going to touch upon later today. But one thing I realized is that we have out of the 18 people, some of them are what I call specialists. They're amazing at what they do, but their roles are defined by what they do and what they were hired to do. We have what we call core team. Their roles are defined not by what I tell them to do, mm -hmm. but by the vision that we have. And it's up to them to figure out what they can do, what they can bring to the table to get us closer to those goals. So that was 
probably my biggest mind shift, just delegating stuff to a bunch of people mm -hmm. to having a proper team. And that changed my outlook on what leadership really is all about. So now I have a lot more questions. I want to ask you about teams. Can you tell me what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? That was part of my eye-opening experience last year. Initially, the way I looked at the team was just an opportunity to dump some of the things I didn't want to do or mm -hmm. some of the things that they could do better than I would. Uh, but it was always about delegating specific things that I wanted somebody else to do, right? So I would come up with, you are going to do this. This is how you do it. This is your manual. Go for it, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And that works until a point when you realize that you're not that good to be able to think of everything. You can't come up with small little tasks for everything and figure out who's going to be responsible right. to do that. That was very sobering moment for me, really, mm -hmm. when I realized just I'm not good enough to be able to think of everything myself. And mm -hmm. the beauty is that all these people who are part of the team, they have their ideas, they have their thoughts, their vision, how they could serve to take us to where we want to go. And I became a lot more open to receiving that. We're still transitioning from just Andre telling everyone what to do towards it being a proper team. This has been really phenomenal experience for me because I've realized that, like I said, if I want to build this business to where I want it to be, mm -hmm. I need help. Not just from people who do what I tell them to do, but from people who will step up and actually offer things that I can't think of yet. So I know you mentioned you have a mentor. How important is it for a leader to have a mentor and a coach? I think it's not just important. I think it's crucial. A lot of my growth as business owner, as a leader, as somebody who's running this company came from me using the mentor. And so how would you describe your leadership style? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there because I never thought of defining my style other than, well, it's Andre's style, but I don't think that's going to be too valuable for your audience. Well, well, tell me what Andre's style is. What are some details? Like if I were a part yeah. of your team, how do you motivate me and add value to me? Right. So what I want to do is actually follow the footsteps of my mentor the way he did it, because I believe this is just worthy of admiration. What he teaches, what his style is, is you lead by showing results, right? You show your big vision and then you show the team your ability to accomplish what you said you would. And if your vision is big enough and shared by team members, that by itself creates enough of uh, internal motivation for people to want to be a part of this. And what I'm noticing is that as my business improves and as my ability to lead improves, the people who surround me also tend to improve, right? So you start with, there may not be a good culture fit. There may be not, you know, the perfect fit of their skill level in the beginning, in the early years. And then as this thing unfolds, suddenly you see, hmm, 
actually, I love everybody on the team. Mm. And it's amazing that they love to be part of the team as well. So that's very important to me. And again, my mentor says, it's not a coincidence, Andre. It's a result of you growing into the role that you're supposed to play in the company. Oh, got it. (laughs) So it sounds like it's important to you to build deep relationships with your team members. Yes, of course. Because the more they depart from just being a specialist to being the core team member, Mm-hmm. It's more than just what they do on a day-to-day. It's also why they do it and you know, what their long-term goals are and how I can become part of those goals becoming reality. You know, I want to touch on this, Andre, because this is something that's really important to me and I see it as of great value, is trust building in a team. As a leader, how do you build trust? Well, to me, the default position is that people are good. I love that. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And once they've proven this wrong, really that's the end of the relationship. But by mm-hmm. default, I trust them to be able to do certain things. I trust them to be able to be just a good person that I expect them to be. And people love it. When I uh, invite somebody to join the team, I use a very unusual process. Let's put it that way. I usually... Mm-hmm make people go through a lot of different assignments. And I test all sorts of things, but primarily I assess their desire to even go through the process because most people won't. Okay. And if somebody spent the time and energy and actually accomplished the assignments, that to me is a good sign that they actually want to be a part of this for a reason. From there, I look obviously at what they've done. And in most cases, the results are you know, very good. And we just go from there. In most cases, in vast majority of the cases, that initial screening was enough to find amazing candidates. And they only get better as they go through our processes and use our systems. Very few of them I had to say goodbye to because it wasn't the right fit. But by creating this process, they actually have to jump through a bunch of hoops. Now I'm incredibly curious about your process. Can you give us two examples? Sure. So a lot of uh, people from my team are overseas. And what I want to do is I want to make sure that their English is good and that they're very detail-oriented. Because I know I'm not. I mean, my English is good, but I'm not detail-oriented. There's a lot of roles that need to be played that require them to do what I couldn't. Okay. And so one of the assignments is there's a long paragraph of text that I have, and I add a typo there. But the typo is such that even if you scanned, I don't give it to them as text. I give it to them as screenshot. Okay. Even if you OCR'd it, right, recognized it into characters and put it into Microsoft Word, it still wouldn't show it to you as an error. The goal of that is you have to read it really carefully and find the typo. If you can't find the typo, it tells me you're not reading closely enough. Mm -hmm. That's the problem, right? This is the one I always use. The other one really has to do with their role that I'm initially hiring them for. Mm -hmm. For example, I just hired a video editor. 
if you go to all of those websites where you can hire talent from overseas, if you just say, I need a video editor, what you're going to have is hundreds of, right, if not uh, thousands. of those requests. I want to be your editor. I've been editing you know, all my life. I'm amazing. Here's my portfolio. Tells me nothing really. So what I did is I said, look, this is great. I've done hundreds of videos myself. I can't edit, but I hate editing. So here's the template that I used for my last video. Here's the Photoshop file for the thumbnail. Here's the audio file for the background music. Here's the premiere file with the actual edit for the previous one. And if you want to watch the previous one, here's the YouTube link for how it looks like in assembled. And I also say, here's the raw video that I shot for a video that was not published yet. You have 48 hours. Think what needs to stay in the video, what needs to go. It's up to you to do what you want with it. Okay. If you want to watermark it, welcome to watermark it. I'm not going to use your video, but I'm going to use it to assess whether you're a good fit. So instead of getting hundreds of bids, mm -hmm. I got three. Oh, okay. Right? And one was horrible. <laughs> two were pretty good. And out of the two of them, I picked one. And we started working together. There's always a process, right? When there's right. somebody new, they need to understand what I want. And by video number six, he's doing exactly what I wanted to do. And the best part of it, he actually values being a part of the team so much that he starts coming up with ideas that go beyond just the video. He's invested in seeing the results of his work create results for my business, and I love it. Wonderful. And you didn't waste a lot of time going through all those applications. That's just pretty smart. Thank you for sharing that. I spent uh, probably an hour crafting the uh, job description with the, all the links, and I spent 15 minutes picking one. Perfect. All right. So, Andre, can you tell us which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I don't know if you can qualify it as a leadership quote. I think it is. It's more about decision-making, and leadership really is about decision-making. The quote goes like this. I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. Making a decision and pivoting from it is a thousand times better than making no decision at all. Every single time I find myself agonizing about doing something one way or the other way or not doing it, I think of that quote and I just do something. In vast majority of the cases, turns out that really wasn't that important which decision to make, what was important is to make a decision and move forward from there. Thank you for sharing that. Now, can you tell us about a leader who inspires you? Yeah, it just has to go back to uh, my mentor, Dan Locke. I've never seen anything like that. First, I saw him grow multiple businesses that he's running right now in front of my eyes. A lot of what he's doing or had been doing before he became a mentor was not seen to the public eye so much, but what he's been doing in the last three years is just phenomenal. And I had the honor of joining him for three weeks to a trip to Japan last year. A vacation for everyone, but he came there with his team, most of them. And I saw how he operates with them. I saw what they do when he is not around. Mm -hmm. And 
the level of those conversations that those people had blew me away. Hmm. And uh, I got so jealous <laughs> that, that, that. Inspiration that, by jealousy. <laughs> yes. You know what? I'm like, why don't my people talk about things I'd like them to do the way these people do? Hmm. And so we had a conversation and this is when he explained to me how he does it. And he says, you know, nobody is ever going to be inspired by goals that are just personal to the business owner, right? What most entrepreneurs who start their business, their aspirations rarely go beyond, I want to pay off my debt. I want to make enough money to have a great car and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, have a great house and uh, not have to work at, you know, an hour of my life anymore. Right. That doesn't inspire anybody mm -hmm. other than the owner. He says, if you can offer people something that they could be personally invested in, in terms of that's the vision, that's the goal, something that they could feel themselves proud to be a part of, that's when leadership starts. So he asked me, well, what is your big vision in numbers? And I really didn't have the answer for him when we had that dinner, but after we were done with that, I came back to my room and you know, stayed up all night and uh, came up with something that's so big as a vision that makes me scared a little bit, but that's what makes me go. Mm -hmm. When I shared that with a team, that was a profound moment, not just for me, but also for them, because I saw that they went like, that's the moment we've been waiting for. So they were waiting for you to play bigger. Yes. And I mean, look, I've always known that we're building something big. It's just mm -hmm. never been verbalized, mm -hmm. right? And when it's not verbalized, the team members at some point, you know, some of them have been with me for five years, some less than that, but it's their life, right? And mm -hmm. they want to make sure that if they stay on for another five years, that there's a reason for it other than just, you know, getting a paycheck. Here's a great line that I got from, she also my mentor, Dan Locke, he says, a zebra in the zoo does not care about front gate sales. I love it because employees are people and contractors are people and their primary thinking is about them. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to figure out a way to show them a path that makes them put in more energy into your business than just getting a paycheck. And that's where the vision comes in. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. You know, as I keep doing these interviews, one of the threads that I hear is when you value the people that you lead. That is very inspiring. I hear that in you as well. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Andre, what's the best advice you've ever received? Best advice on leadership or yes. best advice, period? You decide. This is a huge question. Probably, it will come from my father. The idea behind it is that nobody's going to love you more than you love yourself. Yes. 
And I see a lot of people out there who are extremely talented, who've got an amazing amount of potential, but because they don't see that in themselves or they try to suppress it simply because they have not taught themselves to love themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't have that problem precisely because this is something I've been hearing through my mm-hmm. early days. And it's so needed. So I really appreciate you taking the time to really think that through. So Andre, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it shaped your life? Where do I start? Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, the whole path is about seeing a challenge, overcoming it, and moving to the new place. So the reason I got into intellectual property, my father, who was a famous composer in Russia, and one day he heard his song on the radio advertising Samsung without his permission. That happened to be the song that I used to sing with him on stage since I was five years old. And back then I was still living in Russia and attending a law school there. So he asked me if I could help him to the radio station for copyright infringement. And I had no idea about intellectual property, no idea what to do in a courtroom because most of the stuff they were teaching us back then in law school was just some theoretical stuff that nobody really cares about. But because I admired him so much, I said, of course, sure, let's do this. My big problem around this was that Larry and Sergey hadn't bothered to create Google back then, so you had to figure it out on your own. You had to work. I know, I know, right? You couldn't just Google how do you see a radio station that stole your father's music. And so I took them to court and I ripped them apart and then they bought the judge. Remember, it's Russia, 1996. And I remember this as if it was yesterday. I was sitting in my room by myself reading this stupid decision that basically said that we were right, but because of that, we were wrong. And so we're not awarded anything. And like, what does that even mean? So my dad came into my room and he asked me, what are you going to do now? I said, I have no idea because I think I said all the right words. I did all the right things and we got this idiotic decision. And he says, if you're not going to appeal this, you should quit your law school and find yourself a different profession. Oh my goodness. And we did just that. We appealed it. We lost the appeal. I had to appeal it all the way up to one level below Supreme Court of Russia. Mind you, that's my very first case. And I won. And this is really how I got passionate about helping people protect that which only exists because they created it. So I've been doing this for many years in Russia. I got my PhD in law, worked with the biggest names you can think of. Apple, Microsoft, DreamWorks, J.K. Rowling, and I can go on and on and on and on. And then 12 years ago now, Mm -hmm. I realized that I got tired of living in Russia and I wanted to move to a place that respects intellectual property, that respects freedom, that respects entrepreneurship. And I had to start everything from scratch when I made the decision to move to Canada. I had to go back to law school, (laughs) three Mm -hmm. more years of law school. And after that, I expected that with my credentials, with my experience, I'd have zero problems finding a job with a respected law firm. Mm-hmm. And so after I got my lawyer license, I told the Canadian legal world that I exist. And guess how many job offers I got? It's painful to even think about. 
Yeah, it starts with a Z and ends with an Eero. <laughs> oh, Andre. Yeah. But this was probably the most frustrating oh. couple of months in my life because I'm not used to be said no to. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. it, it just didn't happen to me. Right. And this is when I discovered Robert Kiyosaki and his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. When I was reading it, there's a part there when he says the employment income is the most insecure type of income. I'm like, really? Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. right? And so I decided to start on my own. And this is what uh, Michael Gerber calls entrepreneurial seizure. Mm. I had no idea how to run a business. I just mm -hmm. knew that I was a great intellectual property attorney. And so I thought, well, I'm going to start a law firm that's going to do intellectual property. And very quickly, I realized that my success with that business would have very little to do with my ability as a lawyer, uh, you know, my brilliance and all of that stuff, and have everything to do with my abilities as a marketer, as a sales guy. And back then, when I started it in 2011, I had none of those skills. Mm -hmm. So started consuming books, courses, seminars, webinars by dozens. Until one day I realized that hmm, it's actually going somewhere. I'm getting clients, I'm getting ideas. And this is how I came up with the idea of Trademark Factory because I was so scared to offer my services to the market that would be the same as everyone else does. So I looked at how everyone else offers their trademarking services, found three areas that I thought were important to my target audience and decided to do the opposite of what everyone else does. So instead of charging you to find out that what you want to trademark cannot be trademarked, we made that part of the packages. Instead of billing you by the hour, I said, nobody really gives a damn how many hours I spent getting your trademark registered. It's a binary process. You either get it or you don't. So mm -hmm. we came up with one flat fee that covers everything from start to finish. And then on top of that, I thought, well, if I promise to you that it's doable, if I get paid one flat fee and I don't deliver what I said I would, it's not fair for me to keep your money. It's kind of immoral. Mm -hmm. And so we added the 100% money back guarantee. And it's funny because we've been doing this since 2013. Mm -hmm. And a lot of law firms and a lot of trademarking companies know that we do this. And it still has not been replicated by anybody. And I'm loving it. I bet. And by this time, I know that the listeners want to learn how to learn more about your services. Where can they do that? Well, the website is trademarkfactory.com. There's a ton of free content that we put out. There's a FAQ with 120 questions answered. There's a section with my daily comments about, I call it, trademarking screw-ups, right? Because every day there's a dispute out there. Somebody's suing somebody for trademark infringement. And so what I do is I create daily videos where I comment on those in a language that people can understand. And mm -hmm. that shows how important protecting the brand could be. There's a free webinar. There's a lot of things. But most importantly, if you run a business or you're an entrepreneur, you're thinking of starting a business, you can book a call with our strategy advisors. It's a free call and uh, they'll be able to help you figure out what to start with and whether we're even the right fit to uh, work together. 
because we don't work with everybody. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we're dealing with somebody who values their brand and who wants to build their business into something that matters, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a lot of companies out there that will file your trademark application for next to nothing. And I don't believe that they're serving brand owners because it's a long process, right? Most people don't realize that trademarking process takes anywhere from a year to two in some countries, even more than that. So it's not like a domain name. When you see something that's available, you pay 20 bucks and you're done. It's a long process with a lot of moving parts in it. And we want to make sure that brand owners who start on that path of protecting their brand, that they value it enough to do it the right way. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Andre, Many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) There's always something. I'm always reading something. I'm always uh, going through courses. I'm always going through programs. Like I said, just got back from a retreat about offering your services from the stage I've just finished a book on Google AdWords. I just finished a book by Brian Scudamore, WTF, Willing to Fail. Actually, another brilliant book about leadership. There's always some, there's so much. And I wish I was a faster reader, but there's always something you'll find me read. If I can get a nugget out of a book and implement it, I'm a happy guy. Wonderful. Now, Andre, if there was something you could change in education, what would that be? So I have three kids and uh, we made the decision to homeschool our children. The reason we decided to homeschool was initially we just didn't like the attitude about, you know, everybody gets a trophy and all of that kind of stuff. And all learning should be fun, which it really isn't. So we wanted to take our kids out of that. But the more I look into it, the more I look at successful people and what they required to become successful, what skills they needed to become successful, what qualities they needed to become successful, none of that is being taught in the formal education. Really what's missing is the skills that would be needed by the marketplace, Mm -hmm. right? So instead Mm -hmm. of acquiring knowledge, which today, knowledge is everywhere. Right. We don't have shortage of knowledge. We have shortage of skills. We have shortage of wisdom. And mm-hmm. we have shortage of experience and being prepared mm-hmm. to actually put all of this together. And when I say skills, what I mean is that you have to understand how to turn knowledge into something that somebody else is going to be willing to pay you for. You have to look at the market. What are people looking for? What do they need done? What are they raising their hand and saying, please help me? And then you think, okay, so what skills would I need to have to be able to help this person? And then you focus on acquiring those skills, mastering those skills and becoming the best you can at that. In that process, you'll realize I really connect with this or I don't. And if you don't, then you just do the same process again until you find something that you can be good enough at and that you like doing. And that has the capacity of being asked by enough people so that you can survive. Great. Thank you. Now, Andre, you have a lot of responsibilities. 
What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? So when I wake up, first thing I do, I have this little piece of paper. I have a stack of them near my bed, seven daily questions. And I write the answers to those seven questions. And then I go into my daily audio of attitude of gratitude. So the seven questions, if you're wondering, are... Yes, I am. First one is, who's got my money today? What do I do to get immediately paid for whatever? The second one is, what makes me a better business owner today? Which means, what do I learn today? What new skill do I acquire to be a better business owner? Third one is, what do I do to grow Trademark Factory? And that's different from who's got my money today because this is about more long-term programs that I need to work on so that at some point in the future we grow. And what makes me a better husband, better father, better drummer? So I love drumming. That's That's my hobby, right? I've been drumming for longer than I was lawyering. It's in your blood, Andre. I know. So I want to get better at that, right? Sometimes it could be just spend half an hour playing, or maybe it's a particular exercise that I'm trying to nail or whatever. And last one, what do I do for fun today? That's what focuses me for the day. And I'm doing it every single day. And I love how you're including your passion. And it's important to have fun as well. Love it. Now, you mentioned attitude of gratitude. Yeah, there's an audio by Dan Locke and it's very powerful. So I started listening to it because he recommends it in his programs, but mm-hmm. now it's just a uh, daily habit. Great. Now, if you were to go back in time, what advice mm-hmm. would you give the younger you about leadership? Up until my trip to Japan, mm-hmm. I used to think every time I'd listen to a interview by a really successful leader or when they were getting an award and they would always say you know it's not about me it's about the team and it used to trip me up all the time i'm like come on man Mm -hmm. you came up with this idea you hired these people they do what you tell them to do it's your baby it's your idea why don't you have the courage to just say thank you i appreciate it because that's my thing Mm -hmm. I honestly believe that. And so to me, I just thought that it was so hypocritical on their end. Mm -hmm. Like I said, until I saw what a real team is and what real leadership is. Mm -hmm. And I wish somebody told me about this sooner. Mm -hmm. But Andre, they did. You were listening to all all those podcasts. Well, yes. And And that's the thing, right? If if we learn about it. You're only ready to hear what you're ready to hear. Right. And so I was just going to say, right, this is something I'd like to say to myself several years ago, but probably it would land on deaf ears. Right. We're ready when we're ready. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? A couple of things. One, just going back to trademarks. One thing I always say is that it's often too late but never too early to protect your brand. Every single time we have a client who comes up to us and say, it's urgent that we do it immediately. By the time it's usually too late. Mm. You want to be the first one to realize the value of your brand. And you want to make sure that you treat it as something that might become the most valuable asset of your business. If your business becomes something that matters. And to that effect, you know, about building a business that matters, 
it comes from me, right? It's, it's kind of uh, Andreism. I say, be legendary. It's worth it. You know, you're spending your time, money, and energy trying to build something anyway. Why not try to build something that matters? I love that, Andreism. Be legendary. It's worth it. Okay, so Andre, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. A lot of fun. All right, have a great evening. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.